You are listening to the Entrust Podcast. This weekly course seeks to provide theological training within a ministry setting so you can take what you learn and share it with others. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. For now, here is this week's episode. All right, everybody, y'all ready to go? Sorry I'm a couple minutes behind. The preacher was going long upstairs, so... uh he did that this morning too. I know we do apologize for that fella, but uh, all right. Um, hey, want to do something? You got your handout, just a reminder or, or maybe first time information for some of you. Um, we're not going to have Entrust next week. Okay, so this class will not be meeting here next week because this room and the gym is going to be used for a our gratitude gathering for all of our families, kids and whatnot are going to be having kind of some festival stuff going on here and they're going to need this space. So next week, if you show up, we will not be having evangelism class. You might get pied in the face or dunked in a booth or something. I don't know. Okay. So just be careful. Uh, but we will, the following, we'll, we'll start back up in November. We've got about four more classes in evangelism before we're done uh, going through some content. So no interest next week, back on the following week. Make sense? Good. All right, let's pray. Father, we ask that at this time, um, we're just so thankful for all that you are teaching uh, us as a church. We're thankful for uh, your word. And we're also thankful for the opportunity to share the most important news in the world uh, with people who need to hear it. But we also know that there are many obstacles out there for folks uh, if they're going to uh, follow the truth of your word and, um, and to respond to the gospel. And so, Lord, tonight we pray that as we discuss um, this topic about obstacles, that you would give us uh, eyes for us to process uh, what it is that we need to hear and to think about and how we can be better trained to be able to share the gospel with others. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to talk about obstacles in evangelism, and one of the things I want you to consider uh, tonight is that when we share the gospel, we pray that people respond positively, right? We want people to say yes to Jesus, and while few respond to the gospel, there are times when people will say, yeah, I'm ready to follow. Uh, sometimes, it really, a lot of people won't respond at all. They're going to think about it. Uh, but a few will have obstacles they need to overcome in order to respond. If you ever talk with somebody, it wasn't a hard yes, it wasn't a hard no. It's like, ah, I got some questions, right? Uh, I think through people in my life who said, I'm not there yet. Okay, well, why aren't you there? Those are those obstacles. So we need to understand these obstacles in order to help people move past them. And so a question for us to consider tonight, what are common objections or obstacles to responding to Jesus? Okay. So uh, what, what kind of common obstacles or objections would you say people have when it comes to responding to Jesus? This is a question I want you guys to give out some answers. What would you say? Doubt, okay. Just wondering if it's true, right? Okay, what else? Yeah, are you ready to give up your lifestyle? Like, ah, I'm not ready to change yet. Is he going to infringe on what I'm doing on the weekend, right? Okay, what else somewhere? Oh, yeah. The, the, can you explain the Trinity to me? Nope, sure can't. Okay, next question. Okay, or, oh, is Jesus, I thought he was the son of God. Is he also God? Which one is it, right? So a, a deep kind of question that you go, I, I don't know how to answer that. What's another one? Yeah, they, they need more information, right? There, there can be those kind of common questions and whatnot. Um, here's what I, I know about common objections and obstacles. Uh, the reality is this. Um, you might come into contact with somebody who says something that you've never, ever thought about. But oftentimes, when people bring an obstacle of why they can't receive the gospel, typically this is what I've found. I can at least relate to them at some level, right? Um, I don't know about you, 
I've had my doubts before. I, I received the gospel, but there were moments in my life that I thought, do I really believe this? Like, am I, am I going to really give all in? There was a moment in my life where uh, probably the most um, faith-stretching time uh, I had, uh, when I was in Greenwood, I had uh, knew that there was an opening in the religion department at Lander University, and I applied to teach Old Testament and New Testament, and they said, can you teach world religions? I said, that's not what I was hoping for. And they go, we need somebody to teach world religions. And so I thought, either I teach world religions or somebody else does. And I don't know what somebody else might teach when it comes to that. And this is a state university. And so I know that I have to be very careful about this. But I said, sure, I will do that. They said, do you have any experience with other religions? And I'm thinking, yeah, mission trips. And I was trying to convert them to what I think is the true religion. But yes, I have lots of experience with other religions. Yes, I've been in this uh, temple and this kind of thing. Sure, I, I've, I've interacted with almost every major world religion. Sure, I, I can have a conversation on any of this stuff. And I get a textbook and I start reading the religion of Hinduism which basically the word means the religions of India. So if you live in India, that's kind of your belief system. There's like a billion people living in that country now. And I read through their sacred text, and I read through what they think about creation and how you get off this, this wheel of karma. And, and I read that, and I start wrestling Do I truly believe that these people are going to go to hell? Do I believe that? That that many people who are sincere in their religious beliefs, do I believe that even though they're sincere, they're sincerely wrong and apart from Jesus Christ, they're not getting into heaven? And it was, I'm not saying it was a crisis, but it's hard. It starts, you start really weighing in. Do I really believe what I say that I believe for as long as I have? And, and so I say that to go, no matter what the obstacle may be, somebody may come up to you with something and you may go, I've never thought about that, but have you had doubts before? Yes. Have you had struggles before? Yes. And, and the goal of what I want to share tonight is how you identify with those obstacles where somebody is and not go, well, that's stupid. Okay. Why would you ever think that? That's an idiotic thing. Of course, I've never thought that, right? What does that do? It isolates the person and causes them to walk away. But typically you can find a point of connection. We were on the plane a couple weeks ago. Uh, we have uh, gone from Greenville to Atlanta, Atlanta to Paris. We're now on the stretch of Paris to Nairobi, Kenya. And we have been going for a few hours, and then all of a sudden, Jerry has gotten up, and he's walking in the back of the plane because he is just stir-crazy, and he's walking in the back and doing what Jerry does. Jerry makes friends. Jerry establishes connections with people. And he's talking with somebody in the back. And all of a sudden, he comes up and he goes, hey, Travis, I need you to meet my friend. And I'm like, who is this guy? Okay, right. He said, well, I met this guy. He was kind of doing the same thing in the back. We were making laps and we just strike up a conversation. And he says that he's lived in South Carolina. And he goes, oh, I live in Greenville. Uh, but actually, uh, I actually have a house somewhere in South Carolina. You probably don't know where it is. It's a city called Greenwood. And he goes, my pastor does. Okay. Uh, my pastor grew up there. Let me, let me bring him up here. And not only that, did this guy have a home in Greenwood? I said, well, tell me what part of Greenwood that uh, you had your home in. And he names Pope Street. And Pope Street is the street where my wife grew up, okay? A street that has 10 houses on it. 
We're not talking about a huge neighbor. We're talking 10 houses in Greenwood, South Carolina, and somewhere over the ocean between Paris and Nairobi, this guy's like, I'm sure you have never heard of a place called Pope Street. I was like, that's when I went to her house and picked her up for my first date, okay? Now, I, I say that illustration. In those moments, you really feel like this world is very, very small, is it not? Like, you know it's big and there's so many kind of stuff, but you find this point of connection in such a random way. And when I'm over there on that plane ride, interacting with this guy going out of all the places he could have a home, right? Somewhere between Paris and Nairobi, he goes, I actually have a home in Greenwood on Pope Street, and that's where I asked my wife out one day on our first date. I go, we're a lot more connected than we think we are. And so no matter what you say, no matter what I might say, there's always some connecting points that I think you can bridge the gap to where someone is and their understanding and where you are theologically and in your faith is how to bridge that gap. So we've got to start with where we are as a society, as a culture, where do people think that we are when it comes to faith, when it comes to understanding the gospel. And here's what I would say. Religious ignorance now is the norm. Can we agree on that? Now, let me make sure you understand something. Ignorance is not an ugly word. Ignorance means that's just something I don't know, okay? Um, a friend of mine says there's a difference between ignorance and stupidity. Ignorance is I didn't know. Stupidity is I knew and I still did it anyway, okay, right? Ignorance is I, I didn't know. Like, if you'd have told me, I, I wouldn't have done that. But, okay, uh, I, I'm ignorant of this. Would you think, would you agree today that religious ignorance is the norm? People don't know the word. People don't understand truths about God. Typically, if you think about what people's religion sounds like, it's whatever they want it to sound like. The common question today is, what do you think God's like? What do you, what do you think the Bible is saying? And in reality, while I think that is a very helpful statement in some ways for us to consider I don't think at the end of all things, God is going to say, well, what do you, who do you think that I am, right? That, that, whatever you think, your opinion is valid, and I want to give you, like, and you go, wait a minute, when you said that, it, it brought to mind something, right? Probably thinking of this, this moment in Matthew chapter 14 where Jesus looks at his disciples and says, so who do the people say that I am, right? A lot of stuff was happening, and what do they say? Some people think you're Jeremiah or Elijah, maybe John the Baptist from the dead. And then he asked them a simple question, right? What did he say? Who do you say that I am? And this is what Simon Peter says, I'll talk. And everybody goes, oh, no. You know, whenever Peter opens his mouth, you never know what's going to be said. He says, you are the what? The Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, right? Your father, Bar, father, Jonah, um, son, of, son of Jonah. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood, your daddy, Jonah, didn't reveal this to you, but your, guess what? Father in heaven. He does this play on words here. Your earthly daddy didn't give you that. Your heavenly father did because truth is not discovered. It's revealed, right? Comes down from God. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but your Father in heaven. Now, this is what I know. A lot of times people will use that passage and say, you know what, it's not really important what the culture says Jesus is. It's important what you, who you say Jesus is, which Jesus asked the question, so we at least have to consider. But this is what I do know about Jesus. Had Jesus looked at Peter and said, well, who do you think that I am? And Peter said, I just think you're a simple teacher and you're not God. I don't think Jesus would go, well, Peter, your opinion's valid. If that's what you think, you be you, brother, Okay. You know, your truth is your truth, my truth, something different, but that's okay. 
If Simon Peter would have gotten it wrong, you know what Peter or what Jesus would have said? You're wrong. I'm more than a teacher. I'm, I'm more than a teacher. I'm something so far beyond that. And yet, why did he say that, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, uh, on that rock that you just said, I'm going to build my church because it was right, right? So here's what I would say. At some point, it has to turn to who do you say that Jesus is, but who you say that Jesus is has to be correct if it's going to be saving faith. And right now, we are living in a time when religious ignorance is the norm. People don't know what Scripture teaches, and so they just make it up on their own. We think about our culture. Some are against God. Some are looking for God in a wrong place, and some, most people are just indifferent if you think about it, right? Um. There are people that are very against God right now. It's not even warm and fuzzies or UBU. It is you are part of the problem. Some are looking for God in the wrong place, and most are indifferent. So let's look at those phrases for a second. Some are against God. Um, I don't know how many of you are aware of this, but um, in Greenville County, not everybody goes to church, okay? Um, in addition, there are... Some people who don't go to church, and there are some people who are against church. Some of the cultural movements right now are not only we think this should be done, but we think anybody who represents the church, you're part of the problem. Um, I, I don't know. There are, there are members of our church who um, go to the abortion clinic on Saturday and try to stop people from going in there. And the last couple years, uh, it has moved from some people protesting the abortion clinic, and some people now are protesting the protesters, protesting the abortion clinic. And now they're actually um, devil type of worship stuff going on just to provoke the Christian folks being there. Like statues in the road and like drawing pentagrams down on the ground and doing all kinds of like evil, wicked, demonic stuff. Like I, I, I say that to go, I think sometimes we go, oh, we're in Greenville County. It's not that bad, folks. It's, it's bad. There, there's a lot of sickness out there. We are, um, we're having people right now that are pushing our kids in public school to try to identify what gender they are and what sexuality preference they're going to have when they've never even had a sexual thought yet. There was a, um, there was a parent in our church who said their child got back from summer break, went into class, and was asked a very simple question at a little survey when they got it. What's your name? What did you do this summer? What do you want to be called? And what is your preferred pronoun? This 12-year-old girl went, I, my preferred pronoun. And so she circled unsure. And so this teacher went to the parents, says, your daughter is confused about her gender identity. Isn't sure if she's a female or if she's a male, and so she's not exactly sure what she wants to be called, and you need to talk with her. And so they said, oh, my goodness, we sat down and talked with our daughter. Are you unsure of what gender you are? And she's like, no, what are you talking about? What well, says you're unsure? And she goes, I just forgot what a pronoun was, okay? The question says, what's your preferred pronoun? I was unsure because I forgot what the pronoun, what that word meant. It's with summer break. Please stay off my back. And yet it was like, no, you need to pick a side, and you need to do all this. And I'm just saying, we are living in a time where there are some people who are against God and against the way that God has designed us to be. Even in this city, it is there is a group of people that are like that. Some are looking for God in the wrong place. And, and, and unfortunately, sometimes they're looking for God in the wrong places that are actually churches. Not every church in this county 
are you going to get the same thing at? Uh, there's going to be some stuff that sounds religious, but it will lead you astray. And then, But a lot of people are just indifferent. They just really don't care. They kind of feel like I'll get around to it one day. Like a family member that I had who said, one day when I get old enough, I'm going to do business with the man upstairs and I'll get everything right. And I said, how do you know when your last day is going to be, boy? Like you, don't, like, you call the shots here? Like, you need to deal with this right here and right now. Now, we come to this word apologetics, right? I want you to, to think about something for a second that is kind of important. Because when you see apologetics, what, do you, what word do you kind of see in there? Apology. Apologetics is a, is a form of Christianity, and it's not, hey, I'm sorry I believe this. Okay, that's not apologetics. It's not, I apologize that I believe in Jesus. That's not what apologetics is. But it is being ready to make a defense for what you believe, okay? Apologetics is just so that um, you've got to sometimes to, be, to say something a little bit more foundational than, well, I just, I, I believe, right? Um, I remember um, one of the hymns that I grew up on was, you ask me how I know he lives, right? He lives within what? My heart. I love that song. I believe in the words of that song, but you tell it to some people and they're going to say, that's the biggest hokey pokey I've ever heard in my life, right? That didn't give me anything. You, you know he lives because he lives in your heart? That's ridiculous. That, that, that means nothing. What are they wanting? They're wanting something more. They're wanting you to have, some people need an intellectual conversation. Some people need to know you've been thinking about it. It's not, I'm sorry I believe in Jesus, but it is, let me tell you why I believe in Jesus. You see the difference? That's what apologetics is. So 1 Peter, uh, I've got these verses there on the handout for you. You can look it up in your own scripture if you want to. But I want us to look at this passage together because I think it's very important. Peter, reading to uh, exiles, uh, people that are suffering in their culture for their faith. It says, even if you should suffer for what? Righteousness. So if you suffer for righteousness, you are what? Blessed. That doesn't sound how typically I think, right? Okay. But uh, you can either suffer for being unrighteous or suffer for being righteous. And Scripture is saying it's better for you to suffer for doing the right thing, right? So if, you, if you're going to suffer, do it for righteousness. You are blessed in that. Do not fear them or be intimidated. But I love this. But in your hearts, you ask me how I know he lived. He lives what? Within my heart. There it is again. In your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as what? Holy. That means he's set apart. He's something different than you've kind of put him in a different place and where everything else is. So you're setting him apart as holy, ready at what? Any time, right? Ready any time to give a what? To give offense to who? Anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is what? In you. So I, I love this, and this is important for us to consider today. He says, if you are going to do anything, you've got to say, if I'm going to suffer in this life, let me suffer for being righteous. But in my heart, I've got to make sure that Christ is set apart as holy, as something different than anything else, and you need to be ready at any time, right? Ready at any time. Why? Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 tells preachers, you better be ready to preach the word in season and out of season. You know what that means? You better have a word ready because you never know when a pulpit's going to show up, okay? Just be ready to speak the word when you have an opportunity. When we're in Kenya and we get to a certain place, they'll look at us and go, somebody needs to preach a 15-minute sermon. Oh, okay, here we go, right? Be ready in and out of season. This is saying for every believer here, be ready at any time to do what? To give a defense to anybody who might ask you something. And what might they ask you? What's the reason that you have for the hope that's inside you? 
Not, what's the feeling that you have for the hope that's inside you? Not, what's the tradition that you have for the hope that's in you? Not for, what does your family think? When you have an opportunity and you're sharing with somebody and they say, I have an intellectual question about what you believe, you need to have some type of intellectual answer. When they have some type of obstacle for what you believe, you've got to be ready in that moment to say, I'm ready to speak into that, or I'm at least going to go help and find an answer for that. And this is what's so overwhelming. I think 1 Peter 3.15 is probably something that a lot of us need to memorize and prepare for, but if I'm honest with you, there have been times in my life where someone has asked me a question I wasn't ready to answer. Just as mentioned, somebody says, can you explain the Trinity to me? No. No. Barely understand it myself. Like I struggle, right? I, I, I don't know how I'd explain it to somebody. And yet you go, so what do you do with that? Um, I, I, I've said before that one of the most um, rough points in my life when I was sharing the gospel with somebody, they said, you believe the Bible? Like, I believe the whole thing. They're like, you sure you believe it? I'm like, I believe the table of contents. I believe the maps. I believe everything in between. And then they ask me this question, have you ever read it? What do you mean? <laughs> You told me that you've based your life on the Bible. Have you read the whole Bible? Well, I've read a lot of it. And they look and said, so you mean to tell me you're basing your whole life on a book you haven't read yet? You know what I had to say at that point? Not a whole lot, okay? Other than, I, I am going to read it so that the next time somebody asks me, if you based your whole life on a book, have you read it yet? I can say yes, I have going through the parts that I've loved, going through the hard parts that have come out. It's saying, you need to be ready. Have a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Sometimes those questions come, and you're not ready for them. But it's to say, what do you have? You're trying to make a point of connection. So in all circumstances, be ready to give an answer. In all circumstances, be ready to give an answer. So you are saying that um, you might have an opportunity to prepare for a question, but most of the time uh, people will not give you what they want to talk about. Um, i just go ahead and tell you that one of the, the most, um, something that happens a lot of times in ministry is this. Pastor, can I meet with you on Tuesday? I need to talk with you about something. And you would go, what's it about? Okay, <laughs> just like, can you prepare me? Are you about to just say, I'm upset with you, or I'm living in sin, or I got a deep theological question, because I'd love to prepare if you would just tell me, right? Sometimes people say, Pastor, I need to meet with you, and I'm going to talk to you about how this, like, okay, good. I, I know what this is, versus sometimes people just come in my office and say, I got a deep theological question, you got an answer, and I'm trying to catalog in my mind and, and get ready, but what God is saying is, hey, know the word well enough, know your faith well enough, that no matter what's asked of you, that you should be able to say, hey, I got some answer here. May not have the best answer in the world, but I've got something. I am at least ready to give an answer. And sometimes when we come to those places, uh, we, we may not know exactly, but you were just praying, God, God, give me that opportunity. When my son Obadiah was very close to receiving the gospel, he was seven years old, but he was, um, y'all ever have one of those kids that's a really deep thinker? You know what I'm talking about? Asking all these questions they have no business asking because it's like, I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about that. I'm like, I'm not. Okay, like, I've never thought. And and he was asking all these questions, and how are you sure, and how do you know? And he basically says, well, Dad, you were saying that you know that God created the world, but you weren't here to see it. How do you know? And I said, that's a really good point. I said, in fact, you know what's crazy is, and 
over there on his dresser, he had this little Lego design that looked like this, okay? Now, I know I'm not the best uh, artist in the world, but can anybody tell what that is? There you go, good, that's a train, okay? He had a train over there that he had built with Legos at age seven, and I said, you know what's so crazy about that is I said, last night I came in just to make sure you guys were still in bed and you hadn't wandered off in the middle of the night or something, and I came in and I saw that train on the side of your dresser, and I thought, isn't that crazy? That Lego box opened up all by itself, and all those little pieces came over from that table over here to this nightstand and all piled together like a little, it looks like a choo-choo train, but it just happened by accident. That's just crazy. And he goes, Dad, that's not how it happened. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? He goes, I built it. I didn't see you build it. I wasn't around when you did it. How do I know that you built it? Dad, it's obvious that, that, that this just can't happen by itself. I said, what? It's like 40 pieces. All it is is Lego. Like that could... Really, like that could happen, statistically speaking. Those little pieces could have all marched over across the thing and they got all stacked up together. The blue one's here, and the gray one's there, and the white one's there, and come up with the wheels and come up with a little smoke. And it could look like a choo choo train on its own. Because, Dad, that's crazy. There's no way that 40 Lego pieces could do that all on their own. And I said, Oh, really? And I opened up the shades and I said, What do you see? And he goes, Ah, you got me. <laughs> okay. I said, Look outside. Look at the skies, look at the clouds, look at the trees, look at the creation. Are you telling me that just happened by accident? I said, look at, look at the scab on your knee right now. Think about a scab. Have you ever considered what happens when a scab takes place? Like, it's mind-boggling. Your body gets cut, and your body starts producing stuff that's better than what a Band-Aid is, better than what a surgeon can do. Your body just starts doing that on its own. Like, where does that even come? Oh, just by accident. Oh, a scab? Like, it's crazy. I mean, I'm like, I'm a childbirth. From this point to that point, right? Like, I don't see how you can be part of any of that right there. And I'm not going to draw a picture of that tonight, okay? By the way, I'm not going to. But at any point of this that I go, this is my chance that new life happens. Like, when I see a new child, I go, Look at all the things that could have gone wrong here. And yet this is sustained. Why? By chance? No, because an intentional creator did this. Now, when, when I'm, I'm saying this to my son, right, like I had not prepared in that moment to go, let's talk about scabs and let's talk about choo-choo trains and whatever. But he comes up with this, this, this sincere thing, and I'm trying to go, Lord, help me. C connect this stuff for me. Like I didn't know this question was going to come, but you know what I don't want to know? Uh, I, I, I don't know what to say. I want to say, hey. It's a great question, son. Let's talk about that together. To be ready to give an answer. Now, I'm, I know that there's no way that all of us are going to have an illustration ready to go at some point. I know that we all think differently. We process things differently. But folks, if we're going to start really dialoguing with people, knowing that they have questions, we got to be prepared at some level. And so one thing to consider is, well, why do people ask questions? Well, sometimes people ask questions. It's a smokescreen. And let me tell you what's a smokescreen for. An unwillingness to forsake sin. Sometimes say they have intellectual problems with Christianity. You know what that means? They just don't want to give up sin. And they're going to make up a bunch of random stuff to try to get you off their back because they do not want to forsake what they've gotten comfortable in. Sometimes it is a smokescreen. Sometimes it is they just don't want to walk away from a lifestyle of sin and they find themselves pushing away uh, from the gospel. Sometimes it's an unwillingness to forsake sin. Sometimes, though, it is an honest expression of doubt and confusion. Sometimes people come up with questions because they go, hey, it's not a sin issue. I just don't get it, right? Like, I, I'm struggling with understanding that. I do have some elements I'm unsure of. 
I don't understand what you're saying. I'm doubtful of that. It's a little bit confusing for me. And we've got to process that for what it is. Um, so it's an honest expression. Uh, John Stott, this quote is really helpful. It says, we cannot pander to a man's intellectual arrogance, but we must cater to his intellectual integrity. Well, that basically means this. We don't need to um, try to impress anyone with our words and to try to make them to see a certain way if they're arrogant about it and wanting you to kind of debate them. But we also must kind of be willing to talk, discuss with someone who goes, I really do have an intellectual problem with this. Can we converse about it, right? So we want to be able to talk with them and intellectually the integrity that's there. And so that comes to like how we respond to questions. Um, first is you can preclude it, right? Say where you're going to, what, what that basically means this, you were trying to prevent those questions, right? I don't want to hear what you have to say. Um, so you just prevent it. Like you go, Hey, can I have a question? No, I don't have time for a question. In fact, I got to go, but I just want to talk to you really quick and tell me all this kind of stuff and listen to my presentation. Bye, I got to go, okay? Um, that is one way to respond. You just prevent it from happening. Um, prevent the questions from going forth. You can uh, postpone the questions, right? Hey, I don't have time for it right now, but we can't talk about that another day. That, that's not a bad idea uh, for you to do. Um, that you say maybe you want to kind of think about it. But another way to respond to question is answer and move on from the questions. Uh, Jesus in John 4, 20 through 24, he's talking to the woman uh, at the well. And she keeps asking these questions. He addresses them and says, well, let's get to the real heart of the issue, right? She goes, you know, uh, my people are different ethnically than your people. We think that we're going to worship God over here on this mountain, and your people think that God's going to worship over on this mountain. And what do you think about it? And he says, God's spirit, don't get caught up in all that stuff. People who worship him, worship in spirit and truth. Let's talk about the real issue here. In fact, um, you're talking about all this living water, and you're talking about understanding stuff. Well, why don't you go get your husband, and let's go talk. Uh, well, <laughs> actually, um, there's a story there. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's always a story, right? Let's, let's talk about the story. Let, let's get down to the real issue. So, so answer the questions and, and move on from it. Now, our reactions to questions is very important because um, – Sometimes I have seen a lot of well-meaning Christians not respond well when someone who doesn't believe what you believe and when they ask a simple question, how you respond, says something. So the first thing that I would encourage you to do is don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated when someone asks you a question. Um, you don't have to prove yourself. I'll also say this. You don't have to defend Jesus. He's, he'll defend himself just fine, okay? You don't have to feel like it's up to you to get this thing right. So don't be intimidated when a moment happens and someone asks you a question. Um, when I was in college, there was a guy by the name of Adrian who discipled me and a group of guys at our college and uh, sent us out on this mission trip. And I've, I've told some stories about Adrian before, how he has memorized so much scripture that he really doesn't even need a Bible for you to ask him a question about the Bible. And he's going to recall from memory what it is that you've got a question on. Well, this it says this and this says that and blew me away. And I can remember we were on our international mission trip in Tokyo, Japan, mainly thinking that we were going to be dealing with people who were Buddhist or of the Shinto religion. Uh, and what we found ourselves one night was that a couple of Mormons came up to the church we were staying at, knocked on the door, and we're like, oh, 
what are y'all doing here? They're like, we're on a missions from the United States trying to spread Mormonism. I'm like, ah, we're here from the United States trying to spread Christianity. Um, they're like, hey, you want to get together and talk? We hadn't talked to some Americans in a while. I'm like, sure, let's do this. And then they leave, and we're like, oh no, <laughs> like we're 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 scared because um, if you've ever discussed faith with a Mormon, they've memorized a lot of stuff and they know their faith really well, and they've got a lot of stuff memorized, and they're kind of ready to to go in some facets. They can't really. Um, the way they've done is they've memorized arguments so they can talk about certain things, but they can't kind of think on their feet and respond to what you're saying. But we knew, and some of these guys are going to come in. And so we had this dilemma that night. We were uh, sitting in the sanctuary of the church in Tokyo. The, the church's name was Coco Bungie Baptist Church. And we were sitting there going, they're coming tonight. Well, some of us need to stay in here and someone's going to pray. And who's the best apologist we got? And who's going to, they're going to ask these questions and who's ready to whatever. And and I just remember somebody in that room said, man, I just wish Adrian was here. If Adrian was here, he'd wax the floor with these guys. Okay, like That's kind of the, the thought process. Probably not the best way of thinking, but I remember the guy just said that. Man, if he was here, he'd be able to have this argument. And so when one of my friends, John, who was from um, Colorado, said, are you trying to tell me that Adrian has a different spirit of God than we do? Are you trying to tell me that he's got a different word of God than we do? What does he have that we don't? Now, realistically, I would say a lot, okay? Well, now, now, what did he have different? He, did, he didn't have more access to the Spirit of God than I did. He didn't have a different copy of God's Word, but he had applied himself to know it better. Fair? He, he was ready in that moment that I felt like I wasn't. So what did I start praying? It's, um, I'm in the, the black plan, a Bible reading plan for our church right now. We just finished up Mark a couple days ago. And I love Mark 13, 11. When they bring you in prison and they drag you before the courts and you don't know what to say, don't worry what it is to say. It's not you who's speaking. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through you. And there have been moments in my life, like I was talking to Obadiah, I never thought about that choo-choo train a day in my life. It's like this moment, Spirit goes, hey, go here. And, and he's taking from the reservoir of stuff you've put in and the thoughts you've had and, and bringing it out. So don't be intimidated about uh, what the questions would be. I would also encourage you this. Avoid an argument. Avoid an argument. Um, you're not in a debate. You're not to get in a yelling match. You are to just share the gospel person. And you're not, once again, you don't want to feel like you are combative. There's plenty of Christians who do that very well, Right? You can have a discussion. You can have a lively discussion, but you want to have this type of demeanor where you're like, hey, I understand what you're saying, but you ever thought about that? Not an argument. What are you thinking? I can't believe you think that way, right? It's like, no, no, no. Let's talk about it. And so you're asking questions. That's one of the best things I've learned when you share the gospel with somebody. Ask questions. See where they're at, right? And then if they ask you questions, here's something else I would encourage you to do. Answer questions in the right spirit. Have a type of heart that is um i would say connecting with the people um and uh going along and saying okay um let me answer this uh, I, because here's the thing that i have learned um do you would you agree with this statement sometimes you can say the right thing but say it the wrong way right so you might be spot on theologically what you're saying and almost like yes and amen but to see your face, right, and and the way that you're presenting yourself, it may not be the way that you want to come across. And and so uh, answer the questions in the right spirit. I'd also encourage you, 
Don't be afraid to say, I don't know the answer to that question. That's okay. I know this whole thing is about be ready, have an answer. But if you don't have an answer, don't make up a bogus one, okay? Like, if you don't know, um, I think it's very encouraging to somebody who doesn't have the faith that you have say, that's a great question. I've never thought about that before. Can I research that and get back to you? Because that teaches something. You're humble. You're not a know-it-all. They don't have to know everything before they receive Christ. And you're just saying, but I am committed to really doing the work to help you see this. Hey, I, I don't know that. That's a really, really great question there. And uh, I, I, man, I've never considered that. Somebody, one day somebody asked me something about Noah and the ark, and they're like, do you know the answer to that? I'm going, not only do I not know that, I've never thought about that. I've never, that question has never even crossed my mind. And they're like, what the, do you have these Bible degrees? I'm like, we did not have a class on how the um, plumbing worked in Noah's Ark, okay? I want to let you know that, okay? Now, this is not the most important thing for these people when it comes to crossing faith. But this was like, I, they just, I just can't understand, like, all these stories in the Bible. It don't make sense. Like, have you ever thought about that? The answer was, no, I've never, ever thought about that. But and I'll and I look into that for you. That's a great question. I love the way your mind works there. That's really neat. I'm, I'm just, uh, I see we're different, but let, but let me do some looking, right? And so you you get those questions, and you decide you're going to study to find the answers, just like 1 Peter 3.15 says, being ready to give an answer. So sometimes you study, and sometimes you have found the answer before times, and sometimes you study it after the question has been there. And... um throughout it, uh, what you do is you were saying, I want to find an answer for you. Um, I, um, one day I was talking with a family member who had some very sincere questions about biblical faith. And they said, I'm having a hard time because I'm in school right now. And my science professors are telling me that the earth is this age. If you look at the Bible, it says that's a lot younger. How does that work? Do you believe that God really created the world in seven days ago. No, he created it in six days, actually. And like, well, he created it all in six days, and he rested on the seventh day. That, that's what I believe. They're like, but it, but it just doesn't make sense because if you look at carbon dating and you look at this and fossils, like, you got to admit, like, something's all. And so this is what I did. And I, I never thought about this before, but just on the spot, I, I got a sheet of paper and I said, Can you do me a favor? Can This is a um, pencil and a blank sheet of paper. I said, Can you draw to me right now the garden of eden and they're like i'm not an artist travis i said no no just just play with me here for a second they said oh okay so they start doing this they start drawing big trees and big bushes and big animals and all kinds of stuff all over the place and i said so and i said can you also draw me adam for a little bit and adam was this kind of big honking stick figure right here and i said that, that's interesting. That stick figure there, it looks like he's standing up. And they're like, well, of course. I said, well, why is he standing up? They're like, because he's a man. I said, who said he's a man? I said, I said on day six, like when you finished creating and you just drew a grown man. Well, what are you talking about? I said, how old do you think Adam was there in that picture? And they go, I don't know. Like, I said, no, seriously. I mean, he's one day old, but you just drew him like what? She goes, I drew him like a 30-year-old man. I said, why would you draw him like a 30-year-old man if he's a couple hours old? She's like, because that's the way he looked. I said, why did you draw that tree? How old does that tree look? She's like, I don't know, about 70, 80 years. I said, that's interesting because it's two days old at that point. I said, do you, you see what I'm saying here? And they're like, 
Yeah, what he said, I said, could God have made the earth on day one look older than what it actually was? Because your picture just said he did. Your picture looks like the trees have been here a long time. Those animals have been here a long time. Adam didn't on the ground, baby with a pacifier in his mouth saying, somebody help me, right? He was a grown man on day one. You just told me that God made the world looking older than what it actually was. So could the earth actually look older than what it actually is? Now, once again, I had never thought about this, but what I'm trying to do is, hey, let's just do this. It's fun. Let's just, you know, just try this, right? And there's part of me going, Lord, I hope this works. Okay, like I, I really hope this goes the way that I'm thinking going. But, but in this, this started a conversation, and then it started allowing me to go back to this family member and start finding some answers to that question. And there are times when I'll just look at going, I still love looking at your picture. They're like, oh, stop. And I'm like, no, seriously, because it's the best picture of Eden I've ever seen, and I thought you hit it just right, right? And so sometimes people have these questions. You're going, I don't, I, I don't, if I were to ask you, y'all understand carbon dating? You're like, what's that? Okay, right? Is that when they were dating some other kind of uh, something on the periodic elements? Like, what does that mean? Okay, like there are things that you might not understand, but what are the truths that you can share that you can understand? I'd also encourage you to do something. Use sincere compliments when appropriate. Go overboard on this. Somebody who is lost and living in sin and believes something different than you, it is completely appropriate to go, that, was the, that is such a good question. You are so smart. I've never thought about it that way. You know what? Like, and I just love the fact, uh, I have told a Jehovah's Witness before, thank you for coming up to my house today. They're like, why? I said, nobody else is worried about my soul today on the Saturday. You're the only person who has showed up worried about my eternity, and I want to thank you so much. And they just looked at me bizarre. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, no, I'm seriously. Like, all these neighbors, not one of them have ever said, where are you going to spend eternity? And you did. I just want to say, you're the only person who cares about my soul, apparently, on this Saturday, and I want to thank you for it. Can you sit down? I'd love just to continue this conversation. Here's the seat. Gonna get you some water. Let's sit down. That's such a good thought. Oh, you're just thinking so. Oh, man, I love the way that you're thinking through that. Oh, you're sharpening me and making me really think through it. There are some times where even that I have said, you are so sincere in your faith. I, I think about my faith right now, and not many people give two years of their life to be a missionary in their faith, but you did. Man, you really committed. That's really admirable. I appreciate that. I think you can really, you're, you're, you're just being kind. You're showing the, the, the kindness of Christ. I would encourage you also to present the entire gospel, if at all possible, in the midst of their questions. Get down to the heart of it, right? Um, there are some people who I think are like the paralytic in Mark chapter 2 who came for healing of the legs, and Jesus goes, your sins are forgiven. I wasn't looking for that. He's like, yeah, but I know you needed something better than your legs for, um, healed. You need your sins forgiven. What I mean that is that sometimes all the questions that people are asking are just keep moving away from the whole thing. So answer their question and say, now, can I talk to you about one thing? Here's the deal. Um, God is holy. We're not. And we can't make it to heaven on our own. And so he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. And that's the whole matter of it. And we can get lost in this discussion and that debate. But at the end of the day, what are you going to do with Jesus? Do you believe that he truly has lived and died and resurrected? And, and do you believe that he is coming again? Um, keep the focus on Jesus Christ throughout the discussion. Keep pointing back to Jesus throughout it all. Um, it's not, 
You're not the Savior, so your intellectual arguments are not supposed to be there, but keep pointing to Jesus throughout the discussion, which is very important because I'll tell you one thing that happens a lot of times. People go, well, I'm just not perfect, and go, guess what? You have come to the right religion because none of us are either, okay? Every other religion in the world is do all these good works so that you can be favored by God, and our religion is this. We can't do enough. We are messed up. The only way is if God comes to us. So if you feel like you can't do enough, you are in good shape, brother. Absolutely good shape because I'm the same way. So keep pointing to Jesus throughout the whole thing. I would encourage you also deal with people uh, as people and not as projects. So your neighbor, your friend, your family member is not your evangelism project. They're a person. They're to be loved. They're to be cared for. They got a soul. They've got a heart. They've got a mind. They've got a family. So this isn't a project to check off. This is a person to engage. And so with that, keep pushing forward through it. 1 Thessalonians 2.8, I just love this verse. It says, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the what? Gospel of God, but also our what? Our lives because you'd become dear to us. So I love this. It's going, yeah, I'm going to share the gospel with you, but even more importantly, I want to share my life with you because I love you that much. You're that important to me. I I want to, you're not a project to me. You are a person who I love very much. And at the end of the day, you got to trust the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, there are some times where you will share something and people go, I get it and I'm ready to respond. And there are some times where they go, I don't get it. And maybe when you are long gone and two weeks later, all of a sudden something finally clicks with somebody and they say they got it. And um, Charles Spurgeon uh, people would say uh, one of the best preachers who ever lived, he, he uh, was a pastor in London in the 1800s, and people would come from miles and miles away to hear him preach. And every time he would go up to the pulpit and every time he would leave the pulpit, he would say these words underneath, very low in his, uh, uh, in his volume of his breath. He'd say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Why was he saying that? No matter how good or bad I do in that pulpit today, the real work is going to be if God does the work. So 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul says it this way. I planted. Apollos came behind me and he watered that. But guess who gave the growth? God did. His spirit. And sometimes we see it and sometimes we get experience that harvest, but sometimes I have to realize this. I have planted more gospel seeds and watered more gospel seeds than I've ever harvested. You realize that? Typically, it is rare for me to have someone that I talk to who's never heard the gospel in one conversation, they go, I'm ready. Typically, it's eight or 16 times, somewhere in between that where people have heard the gospel before they're ready to see it. So typically I go, I might not see the harvest today, but I'm either planting, I'm coming up behind and I'm watering this thing, and one day, God, you're gonna cause the growth at every stage of this, but let me do my job. Hey. Good thing for us today, your job is to either do this or to do that. You plant or you water. God is the one who causes the growth. Um, there are, as we conclude tonight, uh, a lot of different debates in church history and even today about the difference between God's sovereignty, him being sovereign over salvation, and your and our responsibility for how we should go about it. And uh, there'll be some line of thinking where people go, well, God's sovereign over all things. It doesn't even remember really particularly how you evangelize. God's going to save who he wants to save and not save who he wants to save. And some people go, I don't think that at all. One of my friends who's dealt with many debates through this in the church history, he has said that this is what he does during his life. He goes, 
I'm going to share the gospel like it all depends on me. But I'm going to sleep at night like it all depends on God. I'm going to every day, I'm going to share the gospel with every opportunity I get, with with anybody that will listen to me. But at the end of the day, I'm going to put my head down on the pillow and go, it is not about how good or how bad I did it. It's the Holy Spirit who does that work, and I trust that he is sovereign over all things. Folks, you don't cause the growth. I don't cause the growth. Our opportunity is to plant and water where he gives us opportunity. And so for that end, Father, we pray that tonight that you would mobilize us out of this place and that we would cause ourselves to be able to follow behind you to know whether we plant or we water and the obstacles that come up along the way that we do our part to be clear and bold in our gospel presentation, but to trust you. So Lord, as we've been praying uh, throughout these last few weeks, I pray yet again, open the doors for the gospel, for us to share our faith, whether we are planting gospel seeds, watering uh, those that have come alongside or maybe we get to be a part of that harvest regardless of where we are in that let us be faithful to whatever task you call us to in jesus name we pray amen thank you guys thank you for listening to the entrust podcast make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources you can also subscribe to this podcast we hope that you take what has been entrusted to you here and give it to another